It's February 28th. This is the One Year Bible Tour. I'm your tour guide, David McAdam, and it's a joy to be with you today, reading through the scriptures. And we are going to make new discoveries in the Old and New Testament, and also in the book of Psalms and Proverbs today. We'll be reading from the book of Leviticus, chapter 22, verse 17, through chapter 23, verse 44, and I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Chapter 22 concludes with a section on acceptable offerings. Verse 17, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons and all the people of Israel, and say to them, When any one of the house of Israel or of the sojourners in Israel presents a burnt offering as his offering for any of their vows or free will offerings that they offer to the Lord, if it is to be accepted for you, it shall be a male without blemish of the bulls or the sheep or the goats. You shall not offer anything that has a blemish, for it will not be acceptable for you. And when anyone offers a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord, to fulfill a vow or as a free will offering from the herd of the flock, to be accepted, it must be perfect. There shall be no blemish in it. Animals blind or disabled or mutilated or having a discharge or an itch or scabs you shall not offer to the Lord or give them to the Lord as a food offering on the altar. You may present a bull or a lamb that has a part too long or too short for a free will offering, but for a vow offering it cannot be accepted. Any animal that has its testicles bruised or crushed or torn or cut you shall not offer to the Lord. You shall not do it within your land. Neither shall you offer as the bread of your God any such animals gotten from a foreigner. Since there is a blemish in them, because of their mutilation, they will not be accepted for you. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, When an ox or sheep or goat is born, it shall remain seven days with its mother, and from the eighth day on it shall be acceptable as a food offering to the Lord. But you shall not kill an ox or a sheep and her young in one day. And when you sacrifice a sacrifice of thanksgiving to the Lord, you shall sacrifice it so that you may be accepted. It shall be eaten on the same day. You shall leave none of it until morning. I am the Lord. So you shall keep my commandments and do them. I am the Lord. And you shall not profane my holy name, that I may be sanctified among the people of Israel. I am the Lord who sanctifies you, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. Chapter 23 The Feasts of the Lord The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, and say to them, These are the appointed feasts of the Lord that you shall proclaim as holy convocations. They are my appointed feasts. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. These are the appointed feasts of the Lord, the holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at the time appointed for them. In the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month at twilight, is the Lord's Passover. And on the fifteenth day of the same month is the feast of unleavened bread to the Lord. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation, you shall do no ordinary work, but you shall present a food offering to the Lord for seven days. On the seventh day is a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. The Feast of Firstfruits 
And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you, and reap its harvest, you shall bring the sheaf of the firstfruits of your harvest to the priest, and he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord, so that you may be accepted. On the day after the Sabbath the priest shall wave it, and on the day when you wave the sheaf, you shall offer a male lamb, a year old, without blemish, as a burnt offering to the Lord, and the grain offering with it shall be two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil, a food offering to the Lord, with a pleasing aroma, and the drink offering with it shall be of wine, a fourth of a hen, and you shall eat neither bread nor grain, parched or fresh, until this same day, until you have brought the offering of your God. It is a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. The Feast of Weeks You shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering. You shall count fifty days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall present a grain offering of new grain to the Lord. You shall bring from your dwelling places two loaves of bread to be waved, made of two-tenths of an ephah. They shall be of fine flour, and they shall be baked with leaven, as firstfruits to the Lord. And you shall present with the bread seven lambs a year old without blemish, and one bull from the herd and two rams. They shall be a burnt offering to the Lord, with their grain offering and their drink offerings, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And you shall offer one male goat for a sin offering, and two male lambs a year old as a sacrifice of peace offerings. And the priest shall wave them with the bread of the firstfruits as a wave offering before the Lord with the two lambs. They shall be holy to the Lord for the priest. And you shall make a proclamation on the same day. You shall hold a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. It is a statute forever in all your dwelling places throughout your generations. And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. The Feast of Trumpets And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall observe a day of solemn rest, a memorial proclaimed with blast of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work, and you shall present a food offering to the Lord. The Day of Atonement And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Now on the tenth day of this seventh month is the Day of Atonement. It shall be for you a time of holy convocation, and you shall afflict yourselves and present a food offering to the Lord, and you shall not do any work on that very day. For it is a day of atonement, to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. For whoever is not afflicted on that day shall be cut off from his people. And whoever does any work on that very day, that person I will destroy from among his people. You shall not do any work. It is a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwelling places. It shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest, and you shall afflict yourselves. On the ninth day of the month, beginning at evening, from evening to evening shall you keep your Sabbath. The Feast of Booths And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, 
Speak to the people of Israel, saying, On the fifteenth day of this seventh month, and for seven days, is the feast of booths to the Lord. On the first day shall be a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. For seven days you shall present food offerings to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall hold a holy convocation and present a food offering to the Lord. It is a solemn assembly. You shall not do any ordinary work. These are the appointed feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim as times of holy convocation for presenting to the Lord food offerings, burnt offerings, and grain offerings, sacrifices and drink offerings, each on its proper day, besides the Lord's Sabbaths, and besides your gifts, and besides all your vow offerings, and besides all your free will offerings which you give to the Lord. On the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the produce of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord seven days. On the first day shall be a solemn rest, and on the eighth day shall be a solemn rest. And you shall take on the first day the fruit of splendid trees, branches of palm trees and boughs of leafy trees and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. You shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It is a statute forever throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All native Israelites shall dwell in booths, that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Thus Moses declared to the people of Israel the appointed feasts of the Lord. We learned about the seven feasts of Israel in Exodus chapter 23. Now in Leviticus 23, we read of them again. First the Sabbath, our resting in the trustworthiness and sufficiency of Christ. The Sabbath is modeled on the seventh day of creation, in which God rested in the satisfactory completion of His creative work. In Genesis 2, verse 2, God said, It is good. We can rest in what God is pleased with. The Sabbath is a gift. In Exodus chapter 16, verses 23 to 30. To further illustrate this, the Lord gave twice as much manna on the sixth day, manna that would not grow stale or moldy, so that no one would need to work for food on the Sabbath day. God's people could not only cease from their own labors, but rest in what God provided. And equally miraculous was the reinforcing fact that there would be no manna on the ground to collect on the seventh day. God's people were being trained and commanded in the fourth commandment of the Decalogue, to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. The Sabbath day was a reminder that God's people can rest in the character of their Creator and Redeemer and all that He has done and will do on their behalf. It was to be a day of rest and worship. It was to be a day for a holy convocation where God's people come together. God knows our need for physical rest and worshiping together as a gathered company of believers. The daily sacrifice for six days of the week would be one lamb. Two lambs were offered on the Sabbath in Numbers 28, verse 9 and 19. We can worship every day during the week, but our joys are doubled when we are able to gather on the first day of the week and worship Him together in a holy convocation. The law to keep the Sabbath day is not repeated in the New Testament. We are told that the disciples gathered on the first day of the week as a testimony to the resurrection. 
Jesus is the one who finishes the work of redemption. Just as God was satisfied when the work of creation was finished, so God is satisfied when the work of redemption was finished. Jesus cried from the cross, It is finished, in John chapter 19, verse 30. The work of redemption is perfect. God rests in it, and we can too. We rest in that which satisfies the heart of the Father. The Bible word for satisfaction that fulfills the requirements of justice and releases God's delight and mercy is called propitiation. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, chapter 4, verse 10, Romans chapter 3, verse 25, and Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. Jesus invites us to enter a lasting rest by abiding in Him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. In Matthew 11:28. This Sabbath is an ongoing state of rest that reflects an ongoing state of trusting Jesus. It is not limited to a 24-hour period. The original seventh day was one in which no evening or morning is recorded. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 2 and 3. This is a prophetic picture of the eternal day of rest, made possible through the finished work of Christ. The first six days in Genesis are recorded as having an evening and a morning. You can see this in Genesis chapter 1, verses 5, 8, 13, 19, 23, and 31. A beginning and an ending. The seventh day is described without any reference to beginning or ending in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. It pictures an eternal day. Just as we read about Melchizedek, the priest who had no genealogy listed in the Bible, no record of beginning or ending of days, this is a type of Christ in his eternal priesthood. The seventh day, with no record of beginning or ending, is a type of the eternal Sabbath rest that we have in Christ. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Psalm 118, verse 24. The writer of Hebrews speaks about the Sabbath rest that is ours to enter into in Christ. He reminds us that we can rest in the sufficiency of God's promise even as we can rest in the perfection of His accomplished work of redemption. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2. Jesus teaches this disposition of deep reliance, trust, and ready obedience as abiding in the true vine, who He is and what He has done in John chapter 15. The Sabbath day of the Old Testament is not a sufficient rest for God's people, according to Hebrews chapter 4 verse 4. The New Testament clearly teaches that the Sabbath is a shadow of what was to come in substance in Christ in Colossians chapter 2 verses 16 to 17. Like the sacrifices of the tabernacle, the Sabbath was a placeholder and signpost for the future grace that was to come in Christ. The Holy Spirit prophesied through David of a certain day of hearing God's voice with a new heart that delights to do God's will. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 7. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9. The writer implies that the promised rest is not found in keeping the Sabbath day, but in resting in the person of our Sabbath. We can enjoy an ongoing state of rest in the sufficiency of His Word and His work because Jesus is the perfect High Priest on our behalf. In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. We need to abandon our own brand of self-justifying works and enter by faith 
into what brings rest to the heart of God, the perfections of Jesus Christ, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 10. We read about the Sabbath year, the promised renewal of the land, in Leviticus chapter 25, verses 18 to 22. Not only were the people supposed to rest in the sufficiency of their Creator and Redeemer, but the land was to enjoy this rest also. We will read about this in future chapters. The promise of redemption affects the earth. Adam and Eve did not rest in the sufficiency of God's word when they were tempted in the garden. As a result of their disobedience, the land was cursed and turned to a wilderness. Jesus, the second man, and the last Adam, was tempted in the wilderness. He rested in the sufficiency of God's word in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. As a result of his obedience, we can be assured that one day the wilderness will be turned back to a garden. The Feast of the Passover. Christ died for our sins. Leviticus chapter 23, verses 4 to 5. As we have seen in the book of Exodus, Jesus was crucified and shed his blood on the Feast of the Passover. God's firstborn dies in our place, paying the penalty for our sin, that the angel of justice who brings death might not strike those who put their faith in the blood of the Lamb, claiming its payment as their own. This is followed by the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which speaks of separation from sin. In verse 6, Notice that the Feast of Unleavened Bread comes the day after the Passover. Paul notes this relationship in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are in fact unleavened. For Christ our Passover also has been sacrificed. Christ has made us holy, that is, unleavened, through His sacrifice on the cross as our Passover lamb in Hebrews 10, verse 14. Now we can get rid of that sin and pursue holiness. This feast lasts for seven days. This is followed by the Feast of Firstfruits, Resurrection Sunday, verses 9-14. through 14. The day after the Sabbath, after Passover, is the Feast of Firstfruit. The priest waves the firstfruit sheaf of the harvest, which is the result of a seed that fell into the ground to die, to rise and bring forth a harvest, in John chapter 12, verse 24. This sheaf of barley, the firstfruit of the harvest, is to be accepted by God as a representative of the full harvest to follow. The Jews were not allowed to eat of the harvest until the first fruit was offered to the Lord, in Leviticus 23, verse 14. Next, the Feast of Pentecost, in verses 15 to 21, the birth of the church. Seven weeks later, on the fiftieth day, the day after the seventh Sabbath, the seventh week, after the presentation of the first fruit, that represents the resurrection, the harvest is gathered in, and two loaves are baked with yeast and presented to the Lord. The two loaves speak of both Jews and Gentiles presented together as one, although they both still have yeast, a type of sin. They are accepted because of the offerings made without defect on their behalf. This has its fulfillment in the book of Acts, chapter 2. This is followed by the law of the harvest in verse 22, the welcoming of the Gentiles. Coupled with the commandments for ritual sacrifices on the Feast of Pentecost are the laws of the harvest. The corners of the field are to be left unharvested so that the foreigner and the needy will be able to freely glean. In the book of Ruth, we will see how Ruth, a Gentile, who made an exodus from Moab to the promised land, finds acceptance and full provision through the kindness of this harvest law and the mercy of a kinsman redeemer. 
she becomes the ancestor for our kinsman-redeemer, Jesus Christ. Next, the autumn feasts. These have prophetic significance in that they are grouped together. The spring feasts were fulfilled in the first coming of Christ. Jesus died on the Passover, was raised on the Feast of Firstfruits, and he sent his Spirit to bring in the harvest of Jew and Gentile on Pentecost. The autumn feasts will be fulfilled at the second coming. These feasts take place in the seventh month. The Hebrew word for seven, as we have learned, is derived from a root word that means to be full, to be satisfied. It is also related to the word that means to swear, to make an oath. The number seven is used in the scripture in a way in which the Lord reminds us that what the Lord does and says is perfect and therefore completely trustworthy. The first of the autumn feasts is the Feast of Trumpets in verses 23 to 25. On the first day of the seventh month, the trumpet will sound to assemble God's people. This day becomes the head of the year, Rosh Hashanah, ushering in a new civil year. It's a day for a new beginning with the Lord and is spent in prayer, meditation, and confession. One day, Israel will hear the call and be gathered before the Messiah. This is followed by the Day of Atonement in verses 26 to 32. What is required for forgiveness? In Leviticus 16, we observed that this was the great day in which atonement was made for sin. This is a day of humiliation when his people recognize their sins repent of them, and receive cleansing. In Zechariah chapter 12, verses 10 through 14, and Zechariah chapter 13, verse 1. This is followed by the Feast of Tabernacles, in verses 33 to 36, the joy of entering into a prepared place. This feast reminds the people of Israel of God's blessing them with His presence, tabernacling among them. He cared for them and sheltered them in the wilderness. For a season they lived in booths. One day, in the land of their inheritance, they will live in houses, a place prepared for them. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. In John 14, verses 2-3. to This was the Feast of Ingathering, a celebration of the completion of the harvest. This is a day of great rejoicing. By the eighth day, they had offered 199 animals. In the book of Numbers, chapter 29. The Feast of Tabernacles pictures the time when Israel received their Messiah and how the Gentiles will celebrate their being gathered with them in Zechariah 14, verses 16 to 19. Now for our reading from the New Testament. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, verse 30, through chapter 10, verse 12. They went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying, and were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve. And he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, 
Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Temptations to Sin Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves, and be at peace with one another. Chapter 10 And he left there, and went to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What, therefore, God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. The disciples discuss who among them is the greatest. Jesus' answer is a wonderful reality check for all would-be disciples. Sitting down, he called the twelve and said to them, If anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. We give evidence that we have the heart of a Christ-like servant when we lovingly do as he does, receive a child or minister a kindness, such as offering a cup of cold water to a brother or a sister in Christ. We are to focus upon Christ and not ourselves. Let us follow His example and the power of His Spirit. The disciples tried to stop someone who was successfully casting out demons in Jesus' name just because He was not following with them. They themselves did not have the necessary faith to cast out demons in a recent incident. You remember in Mark chapter 9, verses 17 to 29. So they resented that someone outside their group was having success. Sometimes we forget the patience that the Lord has demonstrated towards us throughout our past and fail to demonstrate that patience and understanding towards others. 
Remember, we are all works in progress. Jesus explains that there are people outside our circle who are doing the works of the Lord and are growing in a more accurate understanding of Him even as we are. In verse 9 we read, But Jesus said, Do not hinder him, for there is no one who will perform a miracle in my name and be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. The chapter closes with a warning that we must deal with sin or sin will deal with us. Sin contaminates us and it could easily cause other believers to stumble. Notice how often Jesus warns of the danger of hellfire in verses 43 to 48. A recent Barna report based on research commissioned by Alpha USA looks at the views on evangelism by practicing Christians defined in the report as those who identify themselves as Christian agree strongly that faith is very important in their lives and have attended church within the last month. Among these, almost half of all millennials, that is those aged 20 to 34, say that it is wrong to share one's belief as do more than one in four 27% of Gen Xers, those aged 35 to 53, and one in five boomers, those aged 54 to 72, and elders aged 73 and older, they do not make any attempt to evangelize nonbelievers. Why? One explanation is that many of them do not take seriously what Jesus says about hell. Jesus describes hell as a place of unquenchable fire and where the worm dies not, quoting Isaiah chapter 66, verse 24. In other words, there is an agonizing consciousness of hell's eternal torment. Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, reminds us that hell is forever. It is so important that we warn people of their need for Christ and His salvation. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. It would be better to suffer loss of limb, dealing with sin, and escaping hell through putting your trust in Christ than suffer an eternity in hell, having had your body fully intact and your sin not dealt with in this life. It would be better to die a violent death than to have died a peaceful death with no repentance of sin and suffer the consequences in hell. In chapter 10, Jesus teaches about divorce. We covered this incident when we read Matthew chapter 19, but it is worth repeating that Jesus always upholds his original intention for marriage, a community of oneness, male and female, joined in a lifelong covenant commitment of self-sacrificing love, mirroring to the best of their abilities the oneness of the Godhead. And now for today's reading from the book of Psalms, Psalm 44, verses 1 through 8. Come to our help, to the choir master, a masculine of the sons of Korah. O God, we have heard with our ears, our fathers have told us what deeds you performed in their days, in the days of old. You with your own hand drove out the nations, but them you planted. You afflicted the peoples, but them you set free. For not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did their own arm save them, but your right hand and your arm and the light of your face for you delighted in them. You are my King, O God, ordain salvation for Jacob. Through you we push down our foes. Through your name we tread down those who rise up against us. For not in my bow do I trust, nor can my sword save me. But you have saved us from our foes, and have put to shame those who hate us. 
In God we have boasted continually, and we will give thanks to your name forever. It is important to reflect upon the testimony of God's grace in past generations. He's done great things. We remember the monumental works of deliverance he provided at the Red Sea, the conquest of Canaan, and most especially through the cross of Christ. It is also beneficial to reflect upon the history of the church and how God faithfully worked in the lives of past generations. We learned that their victories were all of grace. By their own sword they did not possess the land, and their own arm did not save them. But your right hand and your arm and the light of your presence, for you favored them. Whereas verses 1 to 3 describe the operation of God's grace in the past, verses 4 to 8 describe His grace at work in the present. You are my King, O God. Command victories for Jacob. For you we will push back our adversaries. Through your name we will trample down those who rise up against us. In tomorrow's reading, verses 9 to 26, we will learn of the psalmist being puzzled that he and his people seem to be experiencing unwarranted hardships. He asks why. The Apostle Paul quotes the complaint and answers it in Romans chapter 8. Now for today's proverb. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Another translation says, When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. Reminds us of the saying, Loose lips sink ships. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we marvel at the perfection of your word. When we think of how you authored the seven feasts to remind your covenant people of your faithful provision in creation and redemption, we are amazed at how accurately their prophetic pictures are fulfilled in Christ Jesus. Your self-revelation in the word inspires our worship. Thank you for the self-sacrificing example we have in your Son, who modeled humility. Help us to abide in Him and live out His indwelling life to bless those we meet today. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you for listening, and if you find this commentary and Bible reading helpful, you can indicate so by liking it or subscribing to it or even writing to us at podcast at newlife.org. We also want to remind you that at our website you can get a written copy of the commentary or subscribe to it. Once again, thanks for listening and have a blessed day. Shalom.